Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as the song says, we turn our eyes and we set our eyes on you. We focus in this moment uh, on your voice. We pray that our ability to hear your voice would be clear and sensitive. We pray that as the word is read and as I have under your anointing, I'm able to speak the words that each one of us, including myself, would be transformed from the inside out. I pray that all of us would be motivated and encouraged and strengthened by your word today. And that as we go out as your army into the into society, we would go carrying with us the, the word, the good news in our mouth. We thank you for this example that we see today. And we pray that we could, by your help, uh, emulate our brother. We thank you in the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Philip and the eunuch. Well, in a moment, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 8. Um, <clears throat> and this is sort of an unofficial series on encounters. Encounters, and we, we dealt with several already. And then, of course, Jim Newsom showed up last week and did part three of the series, unaware of what we had been covering before. And uh, But I want us just to keep looking, and we didn't really provide time today for, for the 70 to come with joy, but you know what? You've always, just like Susie did, come grab the microphone. If you've got a testimony or God did something or something happened during your week, you can strengthen everybody if you'll share you know, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the what? The word of their testimony. So uh, we'll continue that right on because uh, uh, I love hearing what God did. Uh, but today we want to look at Philip the eunuch. Um, now, this is Philip the deacon, we call him. Acts chapter 6, they were having an issue with uh, getting all of the widows and folks served. And there was uh, actually some some uh, dissension among them because there were certain ones being served and certain ones not. And the apostles said, hey, we're spending all of our time in the word of God and, and preparing. We can't we can't do that. So let's pray and, and, and set aside. And they identified seven men uh, and identified them as what we would call deacons to serve the tables. And uh, of those seven, um, they were listed in Acts chapter 6, but of those seven, the only two from then on that were mentioned were Philip and Stephen. Of course, Stephen uh, was stoned to death for preaching a, a good word, uh, which is a good point. A deacon is not just someone who just serves, but a deacon is someone who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in the life of Philip here. Uh, but uh, Philip, deacon, this is what, uh, what I mean by that, this is not Philip of the 12 disciples or one of the original apostles. There was a Philip there as well. And I think people, some people are getting more and more educated on that as they watch the chosen. Who is that guy? That's Philip. Uh, and this is really the, the, the premise of this whole story and the premise of this, this, uh, uh, recording in Acts chapter eight is that we see that direction by the Holy Spirit, in this case, was communicated through an angel. Um, your King James there is really incorrect when it says the angel of the Lord. I, I know I just blew people out of the water, and some people say I'm the devil now. But uh, I don't usually take a big issue with the King James. I take some issues, but that particular uh, is not the angel. It's an angel of the Lord. What's the difference? Well, usually when the Bible says the angel of the Lord, it's usually referring to the Lord Jesus in a in a pre-incarnate existence, and of course here we're not we don't have that. But an angel communicated what the Holy Spirit was saying and gave Philip direction. And here's the important part of of Philip's account here: he found his assignment at the end of his obedience. We want to find our assignment. We want to find what it is at the beginning of our obedience. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't, doesn't always work that way. But once he agreed to obey, you remember Hebrews 11 teaches us that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. God said, all right, leave your father's house and go to a place 
I will show you. I've always said, and you've probably heard me say, what God did then was he had Abraham sign a blank check, and then God filled it in as they went along. Many times, that's what God's going to do with you. Um, You know, Charlie mentioned this thing in Granville. I don't want to spend too much time here, but uh, we went, we, my wife and I have been going over there for years to these plays that they do three or four times a year. And, uh, and even been sometimes when they weren't doing plays, but, uh, and so we love that little community and love those people that are involved there. And so after we went to the Christmas plays this last year, this last Christmas, which they were great, um, the guy who heads that up is a guy named Randall Clemens. Used to, well, actually founded Wilson Bank. And also he's the guy who runs the Wilson County Fair. I hinted to him the other day that maybe you can get us some cooler weather for that fair. Uh, but he emailed me. He said, Hey, we've been praying and we think the Lord would have you be our next Andy. I'm going, Oh my God. I'm going to be honest with you. I tried my best to say no. I tried every way I could. I tried to figure out every way I could to say no. The guy who did it at Christmas is a Church of Christ minister, and evidently he was really he was out of town for several weeks. He couldn't do it. The guy who did it before him uh, is dealing with a serious case of cancer, probably, you know, short of a miracle, is dying of cancer. And I'm going, I can't, you know, what am I going to so I really felt like the Lord said, you go do that. I felt like I had to do it, which is probably the only reason I'm doing it. I don't know where that goes. I don't know why that is, except that uh, I'm praying that my obedience leads me to my assignment, whether that assignment is a chariot or a person or a place. I don't know. I'm certainly not trying to become an actor. (laughs) But I am trying to be obedient. He found his assignment. At the end of his obedience. Turn to Acts chapter 8. If you don't mind. We're going to read two sets of scripture. And we're going to begin in Acts chapter 8 verse 4. And if you would stand with me while I read these verses from the English Standard Version. I'll read and you'll see on the screen. I'll, I'll skip down anyway. Now those who were scattered. Now everybody say with that with me. Those who were scattered. Those went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city, and that's really, you know, this is really the margin there probably says it more correctly to to the country of Samaria, and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now we're going to skip down to 25. Now when they had, and oh, let me just say this. You know, if you read the, the verses in between, you'll see uh, that uh, James and John, I think it was uh, Peter and John, I'm sorry, went down and joined Philip in, the, in their crusade. So when it says they, that's who it's talking about. When they had testified... And spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south or go towards the desert to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he, the eunuch, was reading was this. 
Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You could be seated. An inspiring account. I'm reminded of the fact that Romans 10 teaches us that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that he's quoting from Joel 2.32. We forget those things. This was, this was first and foremost a verse in the Old Testament that everybody, uh, some people want to discard and, and uh, discredit. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul reminds the church at Rome and us too, how then will they call on him in whom they have believed, how they will believe in him who they have not heard, and how will they hear without a preacher? Do you remember what we read? Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It didn't say the apostles or the disciples or the leaders of the church. Early on, you read, we read in uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that the whole church was scattered. And which is one of the best things that ever happened. They thought it was a bad thing, but it became a good thing. It says, how will they hear without a preacher or without a proclaimer? See, we need, that's why you have to change that word. Cause then when you hear preacher, you think about that guy with a piece of credentials hanging on his wall. How will they preach or proclaim unless they are sent? And just last week, Jim Newsom talked about being sent just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And obviously that's from Isaiah 52 and Nahum 1. Now I read that, how those verses, and I read that, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. I read that to, to ask you this question or to say this to you. Look at your feet. Everybody look down at your feet. Now, most people, I'll just, I'm going to be honest with you. Most people do not have pretty feet. Most bare feet are ugly. Mine are. But the scripture says that if you bring the good news of good things, how beautiful are your feet. It's talking about you, saints. It's talking about me. It's talking about you. It's talking about all God's people. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, here we have Peter and John and Philip. They've joined him, and there's a great... Revival going on in Samaria, um, and and so they're uh, they're in, they're rolling along, enjoying the, the the high times in Samaria. Whoa, catch that again! Unclean spirits coming out, people being healed, lame people being healed, paralyzed people walking. This is the this is the revival that they're going through. Just think about that. And then it says they now, then they begin, they left to go back to Jerusalem. They were leaving Samaria on their way back to Jerusalem. The Bible says that they were preaching the gospel to many villages as they made their way back to Jerusalem. What's that we talked about on your way or while you were going? And they were preaching, they were delivering the good news on their way back. And then we see in verse 25 that they returned to Jerusalem. They were still high in in a good way. No little funny cigarettes. They were high on the Holy Spirit. They were still uh, thrilled. They were still, for lack of a better term, buzzing. I mean, they were humming in their head. My goodness. I mean, this is, 
Any of, anytime you've been in a kind of a revival like that, you know what I'm talking about. And, and, uh, in the, in the, we'll come back to this, but in the context of that, we have a eunuch who came to Jerusalem to worship, and he would be, uh, Philip's destiny. Um, and so Philip's assignment starts with an angel of the Lord coming to him and, and saying in, Verse uh, 26, now an angel said, rise and go towards the south or towards the, the desert to the road that really leads to Gaza. And this is a desert place. He says, rise and go. One of the keys to this message today, one of the keys to this story is that we would be sensitive to God's voice. Now, some people think God quit talking when he finished the Bible. That's not true. But I can tell you this much. That whatever God says today, it'll be backed up by the Bible. And if what you, if you think you've heard God say something and it con, it contradicts the Bible or the Bible contradicts what you think you've heard, then you need to throw it to, throw it aside and find something else. But God's still talking. You know, some people, some people say, well, I don't believe that. I said, well, you know, um, when my wife and I were getting ready to move to Tennessee 30, you know, 36 years ago, I've lost track anyway. 37 years ago, uh, I, I looked, I mean, I've studied this book since I can, and I could read. I've been studying this book. I couldn't find anywhere in here to move to Tennessee. Wasn't in there. You know, there was things like Dothan, and I knew where Dothan, Alabama was. And, you know, but I couldn't find anything about y'all need to move to Tennessee. But we felt like we heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say to us, and with some confirmation that you should move to Tennessee. And we did. And if it was within the context of the scripture and it was within the context of the family of God that we were connected with at the time. And so I don't care who you are and what uh, the state of your walk in Christ is, you have the ability to be sensitive to God's voice and to hear what God says. And it says he obeyed. Watch what it says. It said he got up and went. <laughs> the angel said, rise and go. And he, he got up and went. Verse, in verse 27. I want you to notice that Philip left. Now he's in Jerusalem. He's still in the afterglow of this revival. He left this place of familiarity and success. To go down a road that led to somewhere that he did not know. Now, you know, we're on this side of this story. We got that advantage. Philip did not know. All he knew was an angel, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, said to him, go down that road. And by the way, it's, there's a, it's a desert road. By the way, it leads to a desert place. But that's all he knew. And he might have even known the road before that. Just go down that road. He didn't tell him there's a eunuch waiting on you. He just said, go down that road. And I want to tell you that sometimes when God sends you to do something, you don't know what's down that road. But you need to rise and go. The other thing is, he left the multitudes. He's in Jerusalem. He left the multitudes for the solitary. He didn't take anybody with him. He just went down that road. I'm leaving the revival. I'm leaving the afterglow. I'm leaving all of these people, you know, Peter and John and all these other. We, we, we need to sit down and write a book about all this. No, don't you go down that road. And he, and he got up and he went. Not only did he leave the multitudes for the solitary, but watch what it says. It says, when he was in Samaria, it said the crowds paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Now, I can tell you as a pastor and as a speaker that when I know people are paying attention to what I'm saying, now that's just like, uh, that's just like uh, energizing. And he had to have been I mean, energized to the max that the crowds were paying attention 
to what he was saying. And yet God said, now you're going to leave that, go to Jerusalem, and then go down that road right there. I'm trying to set this up for you that he left a great place. He left a place that you and I would have wanted stayed. We would have said, oh, Lord, there's all this great stuff going on. I don't want to go down that road. But he didn't even do that. He just got up and went. And so then we have this eunuch. Uh, there's a debate, not a debate, but there's uh, points of view and, and thought that whether or not this was a eunuch in the sense that he had become emasculated. Or, or there's some commentators that believe that that's what the word used there was actually representing his position uh, in with the Ethiopian uh, queen. But nevertheless, uh, this we find this eunuch. And the question that came to my mind as I was reading this story was, what what was the value of the eunuch? What was the value of this eunuch? And I and and I say that. And I, I'm, it's a twofold question. What was the value of this eunuch to the queen? And we'll see that in just a moment. And, but more importantly, what was the value of this eunuch to the Lord? Remember, Jesus said, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave the 99 and go after the one. What was the value of that one? Does that mean the one is more valuable than the 99? No. What was the value of this eunuch to the Lord? He was from Ethiopia, obviously, which is south in the south of Egypt. Uh, the scripture tells us that he was the treasurer for Candace the queen. Candace the queen was a was a was a term. It wasn't a name. What her name was not Candace, but she is like Pharaohs. Had all the Pharaohs of Egypt. She was Candace, but he was the treasurer for this queen, and. Uh, he had traveled to Jerusalem to worship. There again are th- schools of thought, some that he was a Jew. I don't believe that. But some that he was, or either he was a Jew, not a Jew, a practicing Jew, but he had, was a Jew who had been, uh, had moved to Egypt, was not a practicing Jew. He was just a Jew by blood. I don't think it really matters. What matters is that somehow he became attracted to this message of the gospel. And he, he wasn't really attracted to the message of Christ because he didn't know what Christ and who Christ was. But he, there was something going on. So he traveled to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's on his way back to Egypt. What we understand when we view this story and as we go through it is that the Holy Spirit had gone ahead of Philip and was preparing the heart of that eunuch. He was preparing his heart because we find him reading Isaiah. It's interesting that some of you men that go to the Saturday morning study, uh, many of you have met Avi, uh, Doug's neighbor, and Avi is a is a, a Jew. He's from Israel. He's, his lineage is the Levi- Levitical priesthoods, and he probably knows more about the Old Testament than all of us put together. Um. But he told them one time that when they were growing up in Israel, they weren't allowed to read Isaiah 53 and 55 and these verses because they sound too much like the New Testament. And here's this eunuch reading Isaiah 53 in his chariot. I'm sure he had a driver. He was reading, sitting and read. I think he was sitting. He probably was rolling along. And then Philip now is obeying God, going down the road that God told him to go to, to, and not knowing where he was headed. He had no idea. And he spots this chariot, and he spots this guy sitting up in the chariot. And, you know, he said, my father-in-law used to love to quote this verse in the King James. He said, understandest what thou meanest? In, in real language. Or do you understand what you're reading? And of course, the guy said, no, I don't. I need somebody to help me. And so he invites Philip to jump up in the chariot with him. Um, the scripture says Philip ran. Don't miss that. Philip ran. I don't know that that means the chariot was going all that fast. It just meant he was eager. That's verse 30. He had, he was eager to, to jump in that because now he had begun this trip 
being sensitive to the voice of the, of the Holy Spirit through that angel. He had begun this trip not knowing where he was going, and now he was finding his assignment at the end of his obedience. Now, here's your key. Don't miss this. Philip understood what the eunuch was reading. The eunuch did not. And that's verse 31. Philip understood it. Saints, this highlights the value of having a basic knowledge of Scripture. And, you know, it's already been mentioned about the Southern Baptist Church. I grew up the first 12 years of my life in a United Methodist Church. And then at some point we moved over to a Southern Baptist Church. Uh, the only difference I could see between the two churches and the songs they sung and the message that was preached was Duncan and Sprinkling. <laughs> and one of the things, especially in the Southern Baptist Church, that we learned was a, a deep, deep, value and respect for the scripture. I'm not asking you to become a seminarian. I'm not asking you to become a theologian. I'm not asking you to know Greek and Hebrew and any other nationalities. I'm saying as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's very important that we have a basic knowledge of scripture. And I want to tell you that if you go to Barna's website, George Barna's, I don't go to Barna's website anymore. It's too depressing. You, who's Barna? Barna, George Barna's the guy who does surveys into statistics. He talks to Christians and, and, you know, he comes up with these statistics about how many people are born again, how many people are church attenders, how many people are not. I mean, he goes through all these things and I'm going to tell you, it's depressing as a pastor. When I read these statistics that he comes up with, which are real, our, our the church of Jesus Christ, especially in America, I think is biblically illiterate. Uh, I mean, people know a few things here and there, but some of the questions that I hear people ask and they can't answer, it's just basic stuff. I'm not, again... I'm not asking anybody to become a theologian. But what happens if you walk up on that eunuch? Now, Philip was not one of the apostles. He was one of the guys selected to be a deacon. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And somehow he knew what the eunuch was reading, and he understood what that eunuch was reading. Here's the other part. In this case, God didn't give the eunuch the whole package. He could have, I guess, but he didn't. He didn't send the Holy Spirit and say to that eunuch, "Here's or show that eunuch, here's what it is. He needed Philip to finish this job. And God needs you to finish the job on somebody. Somebody's waiting for you to finish the job. Now, you're both going to need the Holy Spirit. It's not going to work. We, you and I have a part. What did, what did Paul say? How shall they hear unless they have a, pro, a preacher or someone to proclaim to them? And how shall they proclaim unless they're sent? We have a part in the sharing of the good news, not the sharing of complex. You know, everybody, when you, when you talk to people who are saved and lost about the, oh yeah. Well, what do you think? Who do you think Adam, I mean, Adam's children, who do you think they married? That's the first thing that comes out. Well, I mean, you know, I got ideas about that, but what does that matter about the good news of Jesus Christ? Anyway, I want to tell you that one solid method of bringing someone to a place of conversion, a place of being born again, a place of preparing them in such a way that the Holy Spirit can Speak to them and move them. One solid method is to encourage them to read the scripture. Please don't ask them, have them read Genesis. <laughs> I mean, you hand somebody the Bible, you know, I'm OCD. If you hand me a book, I won't start at the beginning of the book. I used to have some friends that would. Does anybody read Reader's Digest anymore? That's what I thought. I used to read Reader's Digest a lot. 
And I had a friend one time, and she said, well, I just grab the thing up, and I just go to the middle of it and find something I want to read. And when I get done with that, I might go back towards it. I said, oh, I can't do that. i got to start at the front of the book and read to the back of the book. And, but if you do that, if a, especially a person who does not know Jesus Christ, if they go, if you hand them a Bible and they go to Genesis, boy, they're going to be turning upside down on their head, especially when they get to Leviticus. It, uh, it, Jeff Ebel here today. I know he's here. Oh, there he is right there, right behind Ricky. Those little New Testaments that he gives out, he makes. That's perfect. Why? Because you need to encourage someone to read, start with the book of John. Book of John. If you get one of his little Bibles, there's no Genesis in there. No Leviticus in there. Why is that so important? Well, because of the book of John, if you read the book of John, and if you hadn't, you need to, even though you are saved, there's there's one major theme. Now, this is the main theme in the whole Bible, but there's one major theme in the book of John, and that's a guy named Jesus. You will meet Jesus if you read the gospel. I'd have heard uh, Chip Ingram one time on the radio talking about when he was in college, that they started a little get together in his dorm room with like three or four guys. And they just started reading the book of John. They didn't, weren't doing necessarily a Bible study with a script. They just were reading the book of John. And then the, they had 10 people and then they had 20 and before long they had 30 and they had 40 guys showing up in their dorm room. And he said almost every one of those guys, by the time they got to the end of the gospel of John, they had accepted Christ. So you say, well, I don't know how to reach them. Well, you do too. Get get one of those books from Jeff and give it to them and say, here, read the book of John in this little book right here. Don't do anything else. Don't don't do a Bible study. Just read the gospel of John, 21 chapters, and read it slowly. I'm going to tell you, if they will do that and you will pray for them, by the time they get to the end of it, they're going to say to you, I need somebody to help me with this. What does this mean? Who is this? Why did he do that? And then you can you can play your part the way Philip played the part with the eunuch. Verse 34 teaches us that, that the reading of the scriptures fosters questions. And Philip, as he says, he began and he, he went to all the scriptures And he proclaimed the Lord Jesus. He proclaimed the basic gospel message, and he proclaimed Jesus. You don't have to preach doctrine. You don't have to try to come up with with, uh, different doctrines and churches. And You don't have to tell them how great your church is, although I hope you think your church is great. But you tell them about the Lord Jesus. It's important that Philip preached the Jesus that he knew. You know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, we need to take care of that too. But you know Jesus. He's not a figurehead. He's not just an historical figure. He's not just somebody who lived 2,000 plus years ago. But he's our living Savior and Lord. As Don said, he's, he's, he's reigning on the earth today. Now. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And then we get to this part of the story that I call, now you see him, now you don't. It's it's funny. I get so tickled at these commentaries. Some of these people try to explain this away. So They try their best to explain this away that it didn't really happen the way you know we think it did, and this didn't mean that, and that didn't... And I'm going, why can't you just accept the simple truth of what the Scripture says? It says, if I could see it, I could read it to you. It says, he, the Philip, well, oh, I'll be back up. They're going down the road, and the eunuch said, there's some water. Now think about it. Where are they? They're in a desert. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't um, unheard of. For them to come across a small little 
body of water, but it was very rare. So they're going down this road, and the eunuch said, he, after he tells him about Jesus, there's some water. Now, what, is there anything that would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, no, let's get in the water. So they, you know, they stopped the chariot in this, uh, just their luck. When my father-in-law used to, when something really good would happen to my father-in-law, he said, boy, howdy, just my luck. Just their luck. They came across this body of water in a desert. And Philip got out and they could, went into the water and he baptized him. How many of you probably figured that water was probably some of the muddiest water you've ever seen in your life? You couldn't see the, you couldn't see your feet if you were standing in two foot of it, probably. It didn't bother him. It didn't bother that eunuch. He got out, and, and the Bible says they, that he baptized him. When they came out of the water, here's here's the part that people don't want to. Anyway, and when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The word there for carried, it literally carried away, is literally snatched or seized. The Holy Spirit snatched Philip out of that water and 20 miles away, he, he finds himself in Azotus. This fast. Snatched. <laughs> One of the things about that is that Philip Philip being snatched away out of that water and appearing in Azotus immediately is that it it leaves the focus of this whole thing on Christ and not Philip. Because, you know, he could have people worship the messenger sometimes. And now there's no Philip. And so the scripture says. It said the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. There it is. That is the value. The emphasis on the supernatural in this story reminds us that conversion is supernatural. It's not just an intellectual decision. You've heard me say, and I don't get bent out of shape, and somebody's going to throw rotten tomatoes at me. Somebody asked me how the shows were doing in Granville. I said, I hadn't got any rotten tomatoes yet. So anyway, thrown at me. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not particularly fond of this 18 people made a decision for Christ. I know what they mean by that. But it communicates to me that people just are, make a decision when they're ready. And I'm going to tell you, you don't come to Christ when you're ready. You come to Christ when he's ready. He said, no one, now how many of you know that no one eliminates pretty much everybody? No one comes to me except, which means there got to be some conditions here. No one comes to me except my father who is in heaven draws him. You don't just make a decision one day. I ain't got anything else to do. It seems like a pretty good day. I think I'll get saved today. Doesn't work that way. It's a supernatural thing. Now, do I believe God draws everybody? Yes. And that's where the Calvinists, they don't like what I say. And I don't agree with them. But you know what? That's okay too. I'm not going to say what I thought. It's a supernatural thing. It wasn't, it wasn't just that Philip had the intellectual tools to communicate to this unit, it was that the Holy Spirit had already prepared his heart. God had already been drawing the eunuch. Philip showed up, spoke the word of God. The supernatural took place, and then it took place again. This Ethiopian is historically believed to be the first person to bring the message of Christ to Ethiopia. There's a lot of evidence that from this Experience and from his experience of being born again and being baptized, that it impacted that whole region. As a matter of fact, Psalm 68 says, 
envoys or envoys will come out of Egypt, Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. And so we see a fulfillment of the prophetic there. Zephaniah says, from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. So we, we see that the scripture in the Old Testament has already prophesied that what's happening here. And it's being fulfilled, which reminds us that there is a, a grander scheme going on than we could ever comprehend. Grander scheme. I won't finish with some conclusions. You said, I thought you'd never finish. <laughs> Here, first one, unusual guidance by the Holy Spirit is not unusual. <laughs> If you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he'll have you do things like go be in a play that you'd never think about doing. (laughs) Unusual. Secondly, and I've said this, I'll say it again. Sensitivity to the Spirit leads us to the great moment. You say, well, nothing ever exciting happens in my life. Well, have you been listening? Well, yeah, I had this thought the other day about going down there to that store or going down there to that. I had this thought, and I, boy, I must have ate too much or something. Why don't you just follow the thought? I don't want to get too long here, but let me, let me just. Lord, help me. I love this passage. Uh, Paul and Silas went through the region of Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, or Mysia, watch this, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Holy Spirit of Jesus, it says the Spirit of Jesus, did not allow them. So they've been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. They try to go into the, to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit says no. So then they have, he has a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Don Basham wrote one time that he thought that man was the jailer, the Philippian jailer. Here's my point. Paul wasn't afraid to make a mistake. He wasn't afraid to go down a road that God didn't want him to go down. I mean, he, let's go to Bithynia. Okay, let's go. And the Holy Spirit said, eh. Well, you know, uh, you, you can't guide a cruise ship that's sitting at the port. That captain can turn that wheel till the cows come home. But unless it's moving, then, the, then when, the, when it's moving, the captain can guide it. I'm going to tell you, God's not going to guide you if you're sitting on your duff. I don't know what a duff is, don't you? If you don't, I'm not going to tell you. Except that you're sitting on it right now. But if you if you just make a move, I mean, it's better to make a move and make a mistake than sit still doing nothing. Well, I don't want to go there. I'm afraid I'll miss God. Go ahead. If you miss God, he'll let you know. Hmm. Obedience is the vehicle that carries us to that great moment. Sensitivity opens it up and leads us, but it's our obedience that gets us there. Sometimes we must leave what we perceive to be successful, familiar, and comfortable. That's one of our issues. Here's another one. God is not a market-driven God. (laughs) He had no ulterior motives in saving this eunuch other than to seek and save those who were lost. God does not need, and I'm okay for, I'm all right with market driven uh, policy. I'm, you know, if you have a business, you need to operate in the market, but God doesn't operate that way. He doesn't operate in the sense of how, well, let's, let's get this guy over here because man, he can, he can reach a lot of folks. No, how about let's just get this guy over here. And if he reaches a lot of folks, thank you, Lord. 
But I believe, regardless of the impact this Ethiopian has made, historically speaking, I believe that God would have sent Philip down that road if it was just for the eunuch and he was going to die the next day. I believe that. And you have to believe that as you talk to people. Because people say, well, uh, I could speak to this guy, but boy, this guy over here, he got, he, I bet he could influence a lot of people. Don't think that way. Remember this, as the Holy Spirit leads you to people, he's already been preparing them. You, you can't do it anyway. It's supernatural. Next, if we grasp, if we grasp what is happening, then we will run, we will with eagerness run to the moment. If you sense that you're sharing with someone and they, especially if they get to the place, do you understand what you're reading? No, but if you'll help me, I can. Oh boy. Now it's time to get eager. I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's important that we have a basic knowledge of the gospel message. Basic knowledge. This is inferred in the message, but most of the time no one comes to Christ. Most of the time, not all the time, most of the time no one comes to Christ except through the guidance and assistance by one of his emissaries. Most of the time, many of you can testify to this, that when you came to Christ, there was somebody involved in that process. They might not have even been there at that moment, but they were involved in getting you to that moment. Of course, it's important to remember that we are not building our own little kingdoms. Because God can snatch you out of whatever you're in. That might lend itself to you building your own little kingdom. He can get you out of that water and 20 miles away before you begin to get the, all the, the accolades for what's happening. I'm going to finish <laughs> music to your ears. Uh, some years ago, I recommended, uh, um, and it was recommended to me by Dave and Jolene Mundy. Of course, Dave's in heaven now. A book called The Same Kind of Different as Me. If you've never read that book, then why not? <laughs> it's one of the best books I've ever read. When I, some of you, some people ask me for a reading list sometime. I have, I already have a reading list prepared. And that's the top of the, one of the top ones. The Same Kind of Different as Me. They made a movie. Forget the movie. Read the book. I'll say that about most books. Forget the movie, read the book. And it's a story about a very wealthy art uh, guy, art dealer, and a, a guy named Denver. I think it's, I'm sorry to say Denver Pyle. It's Denver Hall. Denver Pyle is Briscoe Darling on the Andy Griffith Show. But anyway, and uh, Uncle Jesse on the Dukes of Hazard, just in case you didn't. But, Denver Hall was a, literally in the 60s, was a slave. He was still a slave. He, he didn't know any different. He was working near Shreveport, Louisiana, picking cotton, doing things as a slave, and he didn't know it. He wound up in Fort Worth, Texas, in a rescue mission kind of a place. And uh, and, and uh, uh, Ron, I can't remember Ron's last name. Some of you may. But anyway, his wife... Ron and his wife, Debbie, volunteered at this rescue mission sometimes, and he didn't want to. Ron didn't want to. I know a lot of you men, when they say, let's go to the rescue mission, well, I don't want to go down there and do that. Anyway, they did. And then somehow Ron and this guy met, and Debbie, they were Christians. Debbie said, I believe God has put him in your life. And he said, him? I mean, you know, think about it. He's living on the streets, sleeping on outdoors, and he probably hadn't had a bath in God knows when, and his his uh, grammar is... And I'll read some of it in just a moment. His grammar is horrible. And yet she says, I believe God's putting you together. And I want to tell you that it's a great story of God joining two men together in covenant. It's a great story. Well, and since it's been so long, since the book came out, I'm going to give you a spoiler because you should have read it a long time ago anyway. That Debbie... (laughs) 
Debbie develops cancer and ultimately passes away. And here Ron and Denver are left. And by the way, they did wind up. Oh, my wife says it's Ron Hall. Well, then tell me what Denver's name is. I think it's Denver Moore. They wound up traveling around, speaking together. And in the book, it says the next morning, Denver knocked at the kitchen door again. We sat at the kitchen table, stirred our coffee. He dropped his head and paused a long moment, unhurriedly collecting his thoughts like shells on a beach. Then he says this. God gives each person on the earth a set of keys. Keys to live this life down here on the earth. Now in this set, there is one key that you can use to unlock prison doors and set captives free. This is Denver, the the former slave talking. Denver turned his head just slightly so that the right side of his face was closer to me than the left. And my wife said, I'm right, it's Denver Moore. Thank you. He leaned in with his right shoulder and narrowed his eyes even further. Mr. Ron, it's funny, after all this time, he would still call him Mr. Ron. I was captive in the devil's prison. That was easy for Miss Debbie to see. But I got to tell you, Many folks had seen me behind the bars in that prison for more than 30 years. And they just walked on by. They kept their keys in their pocket and they left me locked up. Now, I ain't trying to run them other folks down. Again, I'm using his grammar. Of course, I've been doing Andy Taylor, so it becomes easy. (laughs) But... Because I was not a nice fella, and he wasn't. If you have seen the movie, they did portray him that he was very not a nice fella. I was not a nice fella, dangerous, and probably just as happy to stay in prison. But Miss Debbie was different. She seen me behind them bars and reached way down in her pocket and pulled out the keys that God gave her And used one of them to unlock the prison door and set me free. And Denver pounded home those last words like eight separate nails. Then sat back in his chair, sipped his coffee. He put the mug down. She's the, and this again, this is him. She's the onlyest person that ever loved me enough not to give up on me. And I praise God that today I can sit here in your home, a changed man, a free man. Whose key are you holding in your pocket? Who did you walk by last week that you were jingling their keys when you walked by them? And somewhere on your keychain, You had that key. I'm not trying to put condemnation on us. I'm trying to say that we need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as we go down whatever road it is God directs us, even though we don't know what's down that road. But when you get there, make sure you got your keys handy. Stand with me.